In this week's episode, Rafi Fiolino, a joyful husband and father, relationship coach, and co-founder of Journey to Marriage, discusses the mission of his ministry to help couples enter their Christ-centered marriage with confidence through relationship development. Have confidence in God, but also here's how you can learn the practical things in a relationship to feel confident in yourselves of getting married and staying married. Hear how Rafi and his wife, Sarah, strive to empower Catholic couples to create holy and healthy relationships before entering their vocation and how they help equip these couples with the skills and tools needed to create a joyful, lifelong marriage. This is Living the Call. Rafi Fiolino, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deacon Charlie. Really excited to connect with you and uh, really excited about the show. Yeah, man, it's great to great to have you on. Did I get your last name right? Yes, you did. Most people butcher that, it, but you got it. Well, you know, with a name like Echeverry, you got to be adept, my friend, at pronunciations I of love, other kinds. I love it. Yeah, is that is that uh, Filipino? It is. So, like, so I served in the military, right? So everybody, mm. we call each other from our, our last names. Everyone <laughs> could not pronounce my last name. So then, the the thing that I would always associate it with is like. Fiolino the Filipino. Just remember that and you'll, you'll remember nice. how to pronounce my name. And everyone cool. everyone got to, but then they started sh- shortening it and they're like calling me Fio, Fio, Fio. And I'm like, Fio. Oh, that works. I have, a, I have a mnemonic device for mine as well. It's etch a very nice name. Ah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That nice. way it's like easy to remember. Etch a very nice name. They're like, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I like it. I no, like that's it. cool. That's cool. And Rafi, is that short for Raphael? Um, no, it isn't actually. It's actually, I, I just found out a few years ago from my parents. It's, I thought it was going to be like St. Raphael because everybody that comes, comes up to me like, oh, you're, you're named after a saint. Like, no, it's actually a, a, a mashup of my parents' names. So oh, my, really? my dad's name is Rust, Rusty and then my mom's uh-huh. name is Phoebe. So it's like Rafi, Rafi. Rafi, Rafi, yeah. Boom. Yeah, well, because, you know, in the, in the Philippines, there's, there's also a huge uh, Spanish influence. So you have a lot of just names in Spanish, words in Spanish that are incorporated into the language. My, um, my father-in-law, his, uh, he's remarried, and his new wife is Filipino, and her last name is San Miguel, which is the Spanish for St. Michael. Mm-hmm. And, so, and she's like, that's like a super, it's like saying Smith in the Philippines. Like there's a lot of San Miguels, you know what I mean? So I just naturally thought Raphael. Mm. But, uh, but no, the, your, uh, your story is actually uh, interesting too. Hey man, I, this show, you know, is not about n- topical items. It never is. But it would be remiss if at the recording of this episode, we didn't touch on this monumental decision that just came down moments ago, really of the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision by the Supreme Court. I mean, I, I know you're in Vegas. Are you in Vegas right now, by the way? Yes, you're probably I am. You're always moving around. Mm-hmm. But um, like when you first heard that, what'd you, what, what was your thought? Yeah, I actually just found out this morning, as soon as I woke up and I, and I um, greeted my, my wife and my son, that was the first thing that came out of my wife's mouth. Like Roe v. Wade was overturned. I was like, what? So I haven't been really like, I've, I've, I was hearing that um, all this stuff was actually happening in the background. But the fact that yeah. today, and it's, today's the Feast of Sacred Heart of Jesus as well. Yes. And I'm like, wow, that is really awesome. Like that, that is not a coincidence at all. The fact that, you know, Jesus' love and mercy triumphs all. And, you know, just justice is served. Like the truth is always going to be revealed. 
in the midst of the confusion, the darkness, like Jesus's message of, of life and, and like, um, protecting life is always going, it's gonna, it's gonna live out. And I'm, and I'm really happy. I'm really happy about this decision. We, we pray about this every single, um, day, every night, we always offer up a rosary for, for this specific ruling and the ending of abortions and just the fact to to see this it kind of gives me chills to see like the power of prayer kind of i i mean it's not just us it's everybody everybody who who believes in 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 life and um it's just really awesome to see this all unfold i think about a variety of things too like one of the things that i think about scripturally is the parable of the um the woman and the and the bad judge remember that parable where the woman is like going after the judge and wants him to d- give a ruling and she just hounds him, right? And like, mm-hmm. you know, and Jesus offers up that parable in a way of the persistence of prayer mm-hmm. and to pers- per- to persevere in prayer, which is something that St. Paul hits us with constantly as well. But I think a little bit about that, because if you were to add up, imagine, right, every rosary you, you prayed, every thought, intention, devotion, prayer, mass being offered, I mean, over the last 50 years, you want to talk about some persistence. I mean, you know, that's definitely been a drumbeat forever. And God hears our prayer and he allows things for, you know, sometimes periods of times that we don't understand, but nevertheless, he's listening. So I definitely thought about that as one thing. And and for those listening, I know that they're going to listen to this show next Thursday. So this is going to be kind of old news and God willing, there won't be a lot of manifestations and things that are ugly that happen. But the second thing I thought about was um, the way that we as Catholics share this information with the broader world. Because I think that there's a way to do this or an emphasis that is important to do. And what I mean by that is I think we need to mute our maybe natural inclination to be triumphalistic or victorious, even though it is a victory, even though it is a triumph. Obviously it is. But I think we have to be more um, more pastoral in a way about the way that this sounds to a lot of our brothers and sisters who are not where we are in our faith walk. You know what I mean? This is like a nuclear explosion for them. I agree. Does that I agree. make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Because like everybody does, they do, they do come from their own worldviews and perspectives of things. I mean, like we talk as relationship coaches, we always talk about that when like it's, it's two of you and sometimes your, your worldviews and perspectives clash, but you can always find you can always love each other through that and and figure out ways on how to um how to create harmony in that relationship and i think it i think a lot of it as well is not i mean like going back going to like the religious arguments especially when we're trying to evangelize to those who are of not like they're not really practicing the faith or or faith or not really seeing things in the in the light of like the religious perspective like we've i think we sure. ha- as catholics have to learn how to how to how to talk about this specific topic without bringing like all that because that could be a little more overwhelming as well and they I know we we tend to it tends to happen a lot where we bring in the faith but when we when people are not ready to conversate at that level like we yeah. always we have to evangelize in a way where we are talking to them just <clears throat> specifically and objectively about the topic of life and and stuff and I think for sure that's something that we're we're gonna have to figure out because I know this is going to happen. Everyone, a lot of my closest friends and family know that I'm practicing. I've, I've, um, kind of battled with my young, my young cousins. that don't practice the faith anymore that mm. uh, around this topic, because me and my wife are pretty, um, pretty loud about this topic, especially yeah. on our Instagram and stuff. So we, 
we talk to my my our closest cousins and stuff around this, and we're trying ways on how we can kind of bridge the gap here. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I want to put a little bow on 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 this thought. One final bow because I do want to talk talk about your family and your upbringing, your experience in that. But the little final bow is that I saw an example, like a tweet that one of the bishops send out already. I think the bishop of maybe it was Stockton or San Jose or some, it was out in California, but it was very much about, um, you know, obviously support for the decision of Roe v. Wade, but this this very conciliatory message and a a call to double down on the kind of mercy and accompaniment to show to women experiencing difficult pregnancies service to the very young, especially those who, you know, who are recently obviously born, like all of this thing. And it was, it was actually, I thought really well done because you could take this attitude of like, you know, Hey, you've been served, you know, kind of like we won all this stuff. And I think while all of that is true, it it, it has at this moment when, when this is so fresh, it can have this kind of, um, you know, effect, which, you know, may yield or, or result in things that are that are uglier and, and more difficult for us to contend with. So it can be a, it could be an opportunity of reconciliation and healing, or it can be a moment <clears throat> to kind of chest thump. And I'm I'm suggesting the former might be better. I agree. I agree. And so, uh, yeah, you, go ahead. No, because because uh, there is there is times um, where I didn't know how to talk about this stuff, and yeah, I remember me and my my wife were talking about this in public. Um, in a McDonald's in Hawaii, and I didn't know people oh, were wow. listening listening into us and like everything with abortion and all this stuff. And then a a, a mother came to us in the ta- um, at our table, and she was kind of talking about her story that she she went through an abortion, and she's like, "You shouldn't be talking about this because you're not like you you, you don't know people's stories and what they had yeah. to go through and how like." And that really opened my eyes because I know like when we're having this conversation, I was very heated. I was like, no, this is, this is something that we should do. But then like hearing these stories of like people having, having gone through that and the, the wounds, the trauma, everything oh, that yeah. comes with that. I'm like, wow, like, that really opens my eyes as to like, how can we be more, um, how can we be accompanying? How can we be yeah. merciful when we talk about this? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really true. And there's always a wound involved. Mm-hmm. Either you know, there's always a wound by uh, obviously through 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 abortion, and and we don't pay attention as much to how women are wounded by this long, long term, and many of which don't ever get a chance to actually speak about that woundedness because they live in a culture that actually doesn't consider something that you should have been wounded from. You know, so it's like a really weird spot to be, and people react very emotionally when these subjects get brought up. But I think it's good learning. You talked about so for those folks who don't know you, right? You're you're co-founder of Journey to Marriage. You're married. You've got kids. You're a relationship coach. You love books. You've got this great podcast. You got a bunch of stuff going on. But like we can touch on some of that stuff. But like, where does you, you mentioned your family and you've got some of your cousins and stuff that maybe aren't practicing the faith? Were you somebody that was brought up like really strongly Catholic? What was your journey like? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I was a cradle Catholic growing up, um, but when it comes to like the extent of my faith, it was more of kind of like an obligation. Like, hey, yeah, uh, my parents, and I'm I'm really grateful for my parents because they were the one that introduced me to the faith. They made sure I went through RE, um, went to mass every Sunday, but that was kind of like the extent of what I learned, like in the household. We weren't really praying as a family, like um, like praying before meals wasn't a thing. Uh, we would just kind of go to go to mass and then and then kind of like live our life. 
And uh, that's kind of like how it looked like in, in our household growing up. It was not until I was in my like later teen years, adolescent years, when I was invited to this youth ministry um, with, I think, my best friend at the time. Her name mm. is Jasmine. And she, it was like, a, I forgot what, it's called FCJC. Families in Christ was, Jesus. Was it, natural, was it natural for you to want to go to something like this, though, at that time? Or was it kind of like an oddball thing for you? It was very oddball thing because yeah. I've never been, I've never really saw the faith in this way. And it was a more charismatic group as well. So coming mm. coming into church, I see very reverence, very like quiet and all this stuff. And then when I came to my first youth youth ministry meeting, like people were just jamming and worshiping and all these things. And like, I see, I see a bunch of young people. I'm like, wow, there's young people that do this stuff. Like yeah. I, thought the, I thought the church was like a bunch of just older, older <laughs> folks. Like, what is this? Like, I don't know. Um, so I kind of felt uncomfortable, but you know, this grew on me. And even though it wasn't perfect, like even being in this youth ministry, I was still struggling with a lot of things young people, sure. young Catholics struggle with. Um, there was, was this in Hawaii or was it in Vegas? This was in Vegas. In Vegas. Okay. Sin City. Met Jesus <clears throat> in Sin City. That's where, where it all unfolded. Yeah. And when you're looking at like people who go to church, there it, was there ever kind of like a, was it a, a demographic dimension to it as well, where you're thinking not only are these folks older, but they're also not from my cultural background. Was there ever a little bit of a, like, did you see yourself, did you see people like you in settings that were church related as much as you, as you could? Um, surprisingly, surprisingly, I did, I did see people who are kind of, um, like me, but they weren't mm -hmm. really like present. They're always like in the back kind of, you know, when right. mass is done, they kind of leave. Um, but yeah, like there wasn't, there wasn't enough of, of those like me. And that's mm -hmm. why whenever I would go to mass, I just didn't feel like a sense of belonging. Um, uh, I just mm -hmm. felt like it was kind of like an obligation. I didn't really understand the whole you like Eucharist and all these things. I was just like, okay, I'm going to go receive and just kind of go through the motions. Um, but yeah, like through youth ministry and then kind of slowly, I think the big, the, my big faith journey happened in, in Hawaii though, mm. everything in Hawaii that happened to me. Cause, uh, I got out of a relationship. I was engaged with her. This is before Sarah, I was engaged with her. And in that relationship, I like, I was still trying to practice my faith, but then I was doing things contrary to it. Like we were struggling mm. with chastity. Like we were not living that out. Um, there's a lot of things that we weren't prioritized. Like prayer wasn't really a priority in our relationship. But through the help of a spiritual director, um, who is now a, a bishop, which is really, it was really awesome. I always, That's awesome. I always, uh, kind which, of, which one? Um, so this is the bishop of auxiliary bishop in, um, the diocese of orange. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this is, yeah. Bishop Van's auxiliary. Yeah. I actually don't know him. Bishop yeah. Tim Fryer. Okay. And I knew him nice. when he was a priest, but he kind of like, we were, we, we were friends on Facebook and he kind of gave me some spiritual direction through that relationship. And I, I discerned out of that engagement. But from that, I, I was, a lot of my identity was, was with that relationship, with that person. I spent a lot of time with them. And that's when I realized like how much less time I spent with God, how much less time mm. I spent with other people, my family, the people that were closest to me. And I was like in this crisis of like just loneliness and I was really depressed, kind of like not understanding like what happened. And I, I was 
like, I, I was all over the place. I was serving the military. So I was way away from family. I was in Hawaii. Um, but from the darkness, God, God really spoke to me. And there's something about Hawaii too, man. Yeah. Hawaii's come up a bunch of times for me. <clears throat> Most recently on a show that I did, I had Dorothy Day's um, uh, servant of God, Dorothy Day's granddaughter on my show, Martha mm -hmm. Hennessy. And her whole like spiritual walk really got triggered by being in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I've only been to Hawaii once and I visited Molokai and all these cool, like kind of more Catholic places. But just there's something about certain spaces and places that have this sort of resonance, right? Before I get too new agey, don't anybody get worried. But there's something about Hawaii. I don't know what it is. Maybe just island living or something. But it's come up like in many other cases. Like, oh, I went to Hawaii and I had this just like transformative thing that happened. So it's funny that you mentioned that, that it was like a Hawaii-based thing that was at least related to the genesis of, of this spiritual walk. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful island. It's, every time like I, I walk into a beautiful like cathedral church, like it's, it's just one of those things that like, um, it just shows, it reminds me of God's beauty and how mm. he created us so intentionally. And every time I, 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 like when I was living in Hawaii, just driving to work and seeing the ocean, seeing the mountains, just, just like everything, it just blows my mind. And um, yeah, like the whole, the whole journey unfolded there where I, like from my darkness and my loneliness, I met those young Catholic men who were practicing their faith, who knew the faith so well um, that whenever I was hanging out with them, they would challenge me and like kind of teach me and like catechize me in, in a way wow. where, where I didn't really understand. Like I didn't, I was kind of like, I was upset, Deacon. I was like really upset. Yeah. I was like, why, why do I know? Why, why haven't, like, why hasn't anyone yeah, told me this? now, like yeah. before when I was like early oh, in those sure. relationships and all these things. But these young Catholic men um, through that retreat really just uh, took me under their wing and I started learning the faith. And that's when were I, these military guys too. They weren't actually, they were, they were all locals on the locals. island. Yeah. yeah. We would locals meet like only. every week. I had a whole, I had a similar thing with, you know, God, God uses all, all the means, right? I mean, he's super frugal. He doesn't let anything go to waste, but I had a very similar experience because my, my wife was converting to Catholicism and she would ask me, bombard me with all these questions. And like, I got frustrated because I didn't know the answers. I was like in my late twenties and she's asking me all these questions and I'm going, well, I don't know. And I feel like I should, I feel like I should know. Mm -hmm. So I would go and study all this stuff. And then there was this sense of frustration built into that experience because you're going like, I've been through like all the, you know, uh, you know, religious education stuff. I've been confirmed. I've gone through all this stuff. I was raised in a Catholic home, baptized. So, and, and yet like some of this stuff doesn't stick. And I wonder if it was not that it wasn't given to us, like the older that I get, I wonder if it's not that I wasn't exposed to things, but that the sort of the ground wasn't fertile mm -hmm. for, for that stuff to maybe take uh, root. I don't know. I think so too. Honestly, I think, I think I was at that point in my life where I was just desperate for something because I lost that sense of identity being out of that relationship. Yeah. So I was like trying to cling to whatever. And that thing that really filled the void, which has always was the thing that would fill my void was the love and mercy of Jesus Christ and his truth. And and um, like community around that, like those were the things mm -hmm. that, that that where I really found joy and fulfillment in my life. Um, and it just, it changed everything. Like when I, when I started really understanding 
the I think I, I started like going deep in the Eucharistic miracles. And I think that was the thing that clicked for me of, wow, that yeah. is not just a wafer. Like that is Jesus. And that got me, that got me into like this, like very frantic Catholic trying to t- tell my, my family, my friends, like, did you sure. know that's Jesus? Like, that's not like a wafer. Like that's, that's somebody like that's, <laughs> that's Jesus. That's, and, a, that's a person. <laughs> that's a person. And uh, it changed my life. And like through that whole journey, I actually was thinking about becoming a priest mm. um, because I was like, so just on fire for my faith yeah. and just like wanting to yeah. do God's will. And I remember there was one of the masses. I just felt like God was like calling me to be a priest. And I just started breaking down and crying. And I came I came to uh, one of my military chaplains right after mass. And he's very, he's very rigid, you know, like a bunch of like military people. Sure. He's a very rigid kind of like, um, and I was like crying. I was like, oh my gosh, like father, I think I'm being called to the priesthood. He's like, just calm down. Like <laughs> maybe this is just like an emotion. You should go, maybe go to a discernment retreat and just like go through this and and yeah, I went through that whole journey as well before. I mean, I'm I'm married now, so you you, you kind of discerned out of that. I remember yeah. reading a book back in like one of my sort of earlier fervor days. It was called the Eucharistic Miracles of the World. I don't know if you come across that book, but the Eucharistic miracles are wild. I mean, these are wild things. These are wild, like crazy, logic defying things. Right? We don't talk a lot about those um, as much, and it's always interesting to me to recognize how impactful those things are. The other one is uh, the incorruptibles, right? The incorruptible mm-hmm. saints too. Like, you know, going in, uh, like St. Bernadette uh, Subaru in, in, in France. Um, and like, you know, she looks like she's asleep and she's been dead for like 200 years, you know? But, but like we're, we're, I don't know if just we're bad promoters of stuff or I don't know what the thing is, right? As a marketer, I think about like, shouldn't this be everywhere? Mm-hmm. But, but, I rem- but it is super impactful and it does remind you, obviously every Eucharist, whether there's a manifestation of blood or flesh or whatever is just as much Jesus. But sometimes Jesus gives us that additional nod, right? Of say like, hey, I'm actually going to show you so that your senses actually pick up on what this is. Whereas most of the time, 99.999% of the time, our senses are not aware of what, of who we're receiving. And so those Eucharistic miracles kind of remind us about that. And they're super powerful. It's, it's, it's like amazing that we don't you know, have this stuff like on billboards everywhere. Um, but you know, it's not, it's also not for everybody, right? People might dismiss it out of hand or whatever, but they're really fascinating to me. Yeah. There's a, a good friend of mine, uh, Ray Grijalba, Ray Grijalba, and he's actually, he's actually, um, co-creating a movie around the Eucharistic miracles with like, I think like the, he's like an Academy award winner producer. Like they're, oh, they're, cool. they're putting a lot of like money and, and energy into yeah. Um, like bring bring light to this topic, like Eucharistic sure. miracles in the secular in the secular world as well. Kind of like trying to make it known. So um, that was the thing that really just set me on fire. Like understanding the Eucharist and knowing that was Jesus, and I, that's when I knew, like for certain, like I am a Catholic, and I'll never I'll never stray away from the church. Like this is the truth, and um, that's when I was like super gung ho because. I mean, like through that journey, another part of the spiritual journey, like I was, I was considering leaving the church because mm. being, being in that charismatic community of, of Catholics, there was that part of me where like, oh, wow, I like that type of stuff too. Like, oh, like what about the really nice praise and worship and all these things? Like mm. the things that, cause there's a lot of young people that were going to those types of churches too. I, it was, sure. a, it was a thought in the back of my mind, but um, thankfully I didn't like go through that path, but. 
Did you ever yeah. check out the charis- the charismatic renewal in the Catholic Church? No, I haven't. I know there was there was one in in Hawaii that was happening, and I would actually um, volunteer whenever we would feed the homeless. I would I would do praise and worship um, in the parks with the charismatic uh, renewal community, and we would do that like every weekend. And that the community is just so loving. And there's also like a lot of um, there was like Benedictines as well in Hawaii mm-hmm. that were they're not like the traditional Benedictines. They're a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit more charismatic. I'm not sure how how that whole um, thing unfolded, but we're really good friends with those Benedictines up there too. So, um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the we have to. Well, you should you should visit the. Uh, there's a Southern California um, Charismatic Renewal Congress like every year. I want to say I don't know what happened during COVID, but I went there once, and it was you know that's not my spirituality necessarily, but I wanted to experience it. And it was wild because you had, um, there was one mass that probably had 5,000 people in the mass. And at the elevation of the Eucharist, at the elevation of the host, after the consecration, I mean, just like speaking in tongues galore, everybody Mm. was like, I mean, this was like full on charismatic, right? It wasn't just a lot of hallelujah and praise and worship. It was like literally people speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of interpretation. I mean, there was like all kinds of stuff. And um, it was really beautiful. I mean, it's, and in a way, it's a little bit, it's overwhelming in one sense if you're used to this more, um, you know, more reverent approach to the liturgy, mm-hmm. but it is stunning in its beauty. And the, the part that I picked up the most on was, you know, that the, the church teaches that these gifts, these char- charismatic gifts obviously still exist, including the speaking of tongues, but that they're governed uh, by obedience. They're governed through obedience. So as an example, if, you know, in the, and it happened in this mass, right? That at the elevation, there was all of this speaking of tongues and this moment of like the great amen and all this other stuff. And then when the priest brought down the host and the mask, the prayers, the Eucharistic prayers continued, it was like dead silent. You know what I mean? And I, I really paid attention to that, that there wasn't somebody caught up in the spirit, just mm-hmm. kept talking. You know what I mean? It was very obedient in that sense. And I was like, oh, this is definitely of God because it's not rambunctious and mm-hmm. kind of all over the place. It was really, it was really kind of cool. Um, so, so Rafi, you get, you, you kind of go through this experience, right? And you, you, you're, you're married now. You're like, I'm Catholic. I'm committed. This is my thing. I, I'm never going to leave home again, et cetera, et cetera. And then you make this kind of turn at some point to like begin to focus and emphasize on the sacrament of matrimony. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, that actually happened when I went on another, another discernment retreat in Hawaii. So I was all over, I was like discerning the priesthood. I was, I was in uh, New York at a seminary discerning that. And then there was another retreat in Hawaii where they had multiple vocations. So they had, they had speakers from the priesthood, the married life, the consecrated life, like all these things. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm single. And that's when I met Sarah at the time, but I was so conflicted. Your I was wife. Like, Yes, my wife. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was conflicted because I was like, I thought I was being called to priesthood, but now she's in my life and I'm being attracted um, to getting to know her. Uh, we weren't courting at the time. We were just like friends. But I was hoping like that, that discernment retreat would help me get a little bit more clarity as to like where God is calling me to. Mm. And coming into that discernment retreat, I remember being so close-minded to everything else except for the priesthood, like hearing that message, because I was pretty gung-ho, like, no, I think I'm going to be called a priest. I don't want to hurt myself again in a relationship. I don't want to hurt any other people. Like I was wounded still. And yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't know, now looking back, I was very wounded, very not, not being open to another relationship again. 
But when the married couple uh, came and spoke, it was it was really awesome because when they when they walked in front of the stage, there was just there's like this energy or like something. I don't want to sound new age here as well, right? But there's like this attractive, like attractive, like energy that they're giving, like that they're giving off. Like I was stop, I, I stopped what I was like doing, and I was just like so focused on them and the message that they wanted to share in that moment. And there was something that really clicked that they said in that talk that like, like took me on this whole journey of discerning marriage where they were talking about like the whole purpose of their marriage. And they were like, you know, the purpose of our marriage, like our whole mission is to help each other get to heaven and to help our kids get to heaven. Yeah. And in that moment, for some reason, like I felt like this, like this peace mm-hmm. and also like this just like joy and ex- ex- excitedness because I was That's... never told like that purpose of marriage, like helping each other get to heaven and their kids get to heaven. I always thought, you know, marriage is like the next thing of a relationship. And that's how I saw yeah, me and my, yeah. my, my ex-fiance. Like, I was like, oh, we've been dating for five years. Let's get married because that's the next step. But then now- Two hearing, things on this, yeah. on really quickly, two things. One is super, that's super Thomistic, like very St. Thomas Aquinas, this whole idea of like, you know, each of each other per- perfecting the spouse and getting them to heaven. And then the second thing is if you were in that, pro- the importance of discernment, right? You're in this process of discerning the priesthood and the whole purpose of discernment is to listen to the voice of God. And that kind of consolation, that kind of peace breaking through and going like, boom, that, that's like the definition of consolation, right? What's mm. like, hey, God, tell me what I should feel. And sometimes it's not go do this. In fact, it's rarely that. It's more like you feel the proximity of God in certain things that orient you in a particular way. And that's what I take from that, from that little description you just, you just gave. Sorry to interrupt, but that's just one thing I wanted to, to share. No, that's good. And it was from that that peace and consolation that I felt, Deacon, that um, after that retreat, I decided to um, ask her to enter into a courtship with me. Like that was wow. the event where I was like, you know what? Let me give this a shot. I think I feel like that is where um, where I, I feel called and drawn to right now. And then if it doesn't work out, I'll be open to that as well and pursue it. Because I was still in the military at the time. I had like two years in service before even thinking about like entering to the seminary. So I was like, you know what? I got some time and there's this, there's this call that I also feel that I should um, really look into and see where this leads me. And yeah, through that whole journey, I entered to courtship. We, we were on that journey and yeah. And now you're married and in yes. journey to marriage, your, your apostolate and your podcast will, and we'll have all this stuff in the show notes, but was that born around that time as well? Um, it was actually born when we were engaged. Uh, we had this idea. So we, we discerned pretty quickly, I think in a few months of like intentionally courting, uh, which really blew my mind because my past relationships, like they would last like three, four five years, stuff like that. And then I would end up breaking up with them. But for me and Sarah, everything started to click because we were very intentional about knowing like this is what we're doing is we're discerning a call. We're not just having fun, casually dating and we both have been through like traumatic, like bad, toxic relationships. And we're like, you know what? Let's do this the right way. Let's put Christ in the center. Let's let's actually put ourselves in situations where we could discern the virtues in each other if we would be good husband and wife. And through that intentionality, we got um, engaged in just a few months. 
And then from that engagement, we were, we were actually walking in the neighborhood one day and we were dreaming about marriage and like what we would envision that looking like. And one of the talks was this idea of bringing our gifts together to, to serve, um, to serve people. At the time, Sarah was um, very into like planning events and she still is, but she was into like becoming like a wedding planner. She wanted to do something like that. And for me, I've always wanted to be a coach. I've always been into like um, personal development and like spiritual direction, like people who've came into my life that, that helped transform me spiritually and personally. And I, I just felt called to want to like pay that forward and I was like, I was like joking, joking with Sarah. I was like, you know, it'd be really cool if we started like this business where you can help couples prepare for the wedding. And then I could help them prepare for like their marriage and their relationship. And we were like geeking out about it, but we laughed. We're like, oh, that would be funny. And, but um, we kind of pushed that aside. We got married, did our thing. And it was not until um, I served in the military and like was in a really bad place where this idea where I sat, we were actually in bed. Um, and I told her, I was like, I don't think I'm going to serve in the military anymore. Like mm. I'm, I'm not at peace here. I'm feeling so anxious. Um, I know I told, I told you I was doing, I was going to do 20 years, but you know, like this is not bringing me any sort of peace or consolation. But you remember that thing that we were talking about when we were engaged? Remember when we we're walking around that whole, like helping people get married and literally Deacon, like for three hours in bed, we were mapping out this vision of journey to marriage. Like what if we like helped like taught everything that we taught that we had gone through to help young Catholics. Cause we wish we had something like this, but yeah. And then, yeah. Like then the day afterwards, another sense of consolation and peace. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to tell my coworkers I'm, I'm gone. And yeah, That's cool. it, it took, you're, a, you're it, out. yeah, it took, oh, <laughs> it was crazy. It was a crazy journey, but here we are. That's funny. Well, well, I mean, look, and I mean, it's it's again, you know, God's amazing uh, synchronicity, right? He like you've got this super complementary approach to like you coaching her planning, this sort of desire and zeal for for the sacrament, this personal experience, this like all this stuff wrapped together. It's like, oh yeah, this is a perfect expression of that. And God is also perfect in His timing because, my friend, this is something that. Your apostolate, and there's others, but I mean, your apostolate is happening in a moment where we're in kind of DEFCON, use military terminology here, DEFCON 5, right, of, of matrimony. So two stats, and I want you to react to these as they relate to this journey. Number one, I just pulled this. It actually comes from one of the Vatican um, kind of tracker studies that they release every year. In Latin, it's called Annuarium Statisticum Ecclesiae, which just basically means the statistical journal of the church, and they republish updates to this every year. According to that, the most recent publication of that, the number of Catholics in the world has gone up by about 17% in the last decade or so, but the, this is global. So 17% more Catholics, good. Number of marriages celebrated in the church has gone down in that same time by 26%. So 17% increase globally, 26% drop in Catholic marriage at the same time. And if you look at it for just the U.S., Rafi, and I just gave a talk about this, which is why I know it, it's still fresh in my mind, in the U.S., from the year 2000 to 2021, okay? So I don't care how young you are, this is your lifetime we're talking about. From, 20, from 2000 to 2021, we've had in the U.S. negative 63% Catholic marriages. Wow. 
So you're starting this thing in the context of both this global reality and this U.S. reality. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you, I mean, when you hear that stuff, like, is, is that validation? Does that scare you? Like, wh- wh- where are you at? Yeah. And like, honestly, that that's good that you, you're, you're bringing this up, Deacon Charlie, because if we're thinking about everything that we're trying to solve in our apostolate, it is that that is the number one problem we're trying to solve. Um, to to help people get married. Like that's that's like our mission statement. We we help young adult Catholics get married and stay married. And I think like I'm not really surprised there as well, because there's not enough like resources out there that that really accompany people to the journey yeah. of marriage. I know there's like engaged couples, but then what about those who are like in courtships? What about those who are in the whole dating, like trying to build friendships? Like there's really nothing there to accompany them. So when you don't know how to do a certain thing, like, do you want to end up transitioning to the next stage and next stage? No. Like when you're not competent in, in stuff, you're not confident sure. to take those next steps, which I see that like, that's why I feel that's what me and Sarah feel. A lot of people are afraid of getting married because either they're, they've been jaded from their past relationships, maybe even been um, jaded by their, um, upbringing maybe they they they're raised in divorced household and they're like i don't want that to happen to me so i'm just gonna avoid it completely um and all these different things and um what we want to do is we want to kind of bridge the gap and like share share them the path like what are those things that you should consider doing in the single and dating stage then the courtship stage then the engaged stage to the marriage stage so you're not like kind of guessing and like struggling and being challenged here. Um, because yeah, like com- competence breeds confidence. And when you, yeah. when you feel competent in what you and how you actually do a relationship com- and also confident in God, knowing that he will provide every means grace necessary to live out his vocation fruitfully. Like, cause we've experienced that as well. Like in the the deepest challenges, the darkest moments in our marriage, he provided. And I think not many people have that confidence in God, but like that is our message. Our message is that, hey, have confidence in God, but also here's how you can learn the practical things in a relationship to feel confident in yourselves of getting married and staying married. Amen to that, brother. You said a couple of things that are really important, I think. One of them is this idea of competence, um, you know, being the 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 sort of the the seedbed or the ground of confidence, right? Because I do think that there is maybe most of all a misunderstanding of what matrimony actually is. And you said it even earlier in this conversation that your kind of view of marriage was like almost like a it was like the senior version of the relationship. It was like your promotion. You're like being yeah. promoted out of your like dating or whatever into this thing. I think there's a lot of images like, you know, in the frame of mind of people when they hear marriage, there's a lot of different things. But I think that rare among those images that come into the minds of people as they think about marriage, especially young people, is this idea of this sort of transcendent union, this kind of pairing of you know, two people from all time, this achievement of God's will, this complementarity. I don't think that stuff is necessarily in there when people think about marriage. And then the other thing that I think about is, because you talked about there's a lot of this competence applies to the the lead up to, to marriage. And I completely agree with you. I think that we've got a long way to go. And I think, you know, maybe journey to, mar- to, to marriage does 
achieve some of those things. But I also think that like once we once people get married, it's like we forget that there's sort of ongoing, you know, formation. Like what happens after you get married and like the, you know, the the adaptations of two people who hopefully haven't been living together now living together and now having kids and like all of that is like where a lot of the trouble in my marriage, you know, came was like not the courtship, but like afterwards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. And that's why like what we're trying to do is that when the journey to marriage is complete, like it never ends. It's not something that you just like, okay, we're just not, we're going to be complacent. We figured it out. Like, no, that is the devil's lie for you to fall into that complacency. So like those who, who get, end up getting married, like through our programs, their primary role is to be that, that contribution couple like those, so like our ministry is very like peer to peer. So when you've when you've completed the journey of marriage, like there's only so much growth as a person that you can that you can do through books, through going through courses and all these things. So like that next step of growth is learning how to contribute to other people who are maybe in the earlier stages and put yourself as like that mentor couple. And because when you're a mentor to people, it really it really puts you in a position to not be complacent. People are looking up to you. So that really just helps you to step up in your relationship, making sure you're present um, in your relationship. And um, it gives you purpose that, you know, it's not just me and my my spouse and we're kind of just like going through the motions. But, you know, there's we have community. We have other married couples that we can lean on for support. But then we also have a responsibility to help those young adult Catholics who are still on that journey and kind of sharing and kind of guiding them through the path. Um, so I think there's like what you said, what you did in, before marriage should still be a foundation and you should still like continue to live out those habits, but there's like new habits and new things to build in marriage that you just necessarily don't, you don't start doing before marriage. And unfortunately we have these things mixed up we're trying to, we're not married yet, but we're trying to do married things and it's kind of like a mess. So what we do is we have a framework. It's called a journey to marriage success path. And we literally show them like, here are the specific things in this stage and this stage and this stage and this stage. So don't do, don't worry about that stage until that comes up for you right now. Mm. Worry about here. And um, hopefully like, I know for me, I'm very like, very logical and like I, I like checklists and like seeing a path of going through and I wish I had that type of path because my path was just like woo, <laughs> it was a crazy journey but seat at your pants yeah, yeah me too well it seems like you know on an institutional level the church is listening though I don't know if you caught just last week I think it was like eight nine days ago um out of the Vatican the dicastery for laity uh and fa- family and life released this you know kind of draft text and the whole point of it, it's called the Catechumenal Itinerary for Married Life. But the whole point of it, it's got this whole intro from Pope Francis and everything, was that that marriage prepar- pre- preparation programs in general were like, are not like equipped or they're not best equipped to like do the kind of stuff you're talking about, right? And they basically, they suggested at a, at a, at a global church level to, you know, to make them longer, um, to, to provide more formation to couples that are preparing for marriage. And then along with that, like provide additional years of support after marriage. So it, it, it feels like, the, you know, the church at, a, again, institutional level, Vatican level is also paying attention to this and, and, and doing some things like in real time, 
to to try to address it. But when I read what they've written, it sounds a lot like what you're saying, you know, you're doing um, already with A Journey to Marriage, which is good confirmation. Yeah. And um, that's really, I, I'm glad that like, the church is really doing something for this. And it's really cool to to also be able to to be a part of that journey as well. Um, and taking on this responsibility because we've, we did, um, we did like when we first launched our ministry, we did the Catholic engaged summit and we brought a bunch of like Catholic experts and speakers to, to serve the specific demographic of engaged couples. And even those who, who run pre Cana, like the founder of Catholic marriage prep, um, uh, Christian Mert, we had, um, what's that called? Uh, the Parolas, Dr. Byron, mm and Francine Parola from Smart Loving, like all these pre-Cana marriage prep programs. And the question that we asked them is like, is pre-Cana enough? And they're like, no, like you need, like, and that's from the pre-Cana founders themselves. Like, sure, you need to like know. look into things because, and we hear it from a lot of young Catholics too. People, I guess like pre-Cana could also be very like one size fits all. Like, cause I know for me and Sarah, we were like so into the faith, very devout, like, and then when we went to our pre-Cana, it was like an engaged encounter. Again, I, we love that experience and all those things. But I feel I felt like I wish we would have gotten a little bit more from it because it it kind of sounded more of like theory of like, you know, this is the sacrament. And we already knew that stuff, like the sacrament and this is a mission, like um, one flesh kind of stuff. But then the practical, like how do you do the practical day-to-day, -day? like, yeah. When the when the conflicts come up, how do you actually address that? How do you communicate? How do you manage finances? How do you actually do these things? And what we want what we intend to do is bring those experts and everything together to teach the teach these couples more of the practical day to day. And then we'll we'll allow, and then of course like the pre cana and stuff that is something that they ha they must go through to understand the sacramental um aspects of marriage and and the theological basics of, of that, of the thing. But we like, what we want to do is kind of teach like the practical day to day, like how do you actually interact and a more, in a, in a more Catholic worldview. Cause you know, there's a lot of relationship resources out there as well that might oh, yeah. be contrary to our faith. That's right. Like they see, they see sex as something that is good before marriage. And like, that is one of those things you need to figure this out before you thinking about getting married like you got to test drive this. Like that is that is the good, true relationship advice that's being poured out out there in the secular space. A hundred percent. Try yeah. before you buy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a very transactional kind of a mindset, but it's everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. for sure. And on the other end of that, sadly, there's even like celebrate your divorce. You yeah. know, so we're kind of the secular world has a you know a, a non advisable perspective on this issue. <laughs> Mm -hmm. For anybody who's trying to live a virtuous life, that's for sure. I, I love the emphasis too on the practical stuff, Rafi, because like, you know, to me that that is the nuts and bolts of of the everyday, and we're called to sanctify all of those moments. So not only are they important from a practical standpoint, because you should know how to do your finances and you should know about like, you know, all these little details. But we're also called to sanctify every one of those moments. So they're not like throwaway things like tools in a tool shed that we just use to get some job done. They're also, each of them, opportunities for us to draw closer to God, no matter how simple or mundane or basic or whatever they may actually be. So I think at least on those two fronts, it's really important to talk about all these like best practices and things like that. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so before we get to our final segment, wait, what, Rafi, I wanted you to just share with folks, like if they're interested in Journey to Marriage, if they want to listen to the podcast, if they want to get in touch with you, like what, you know, what are the ways that they can actually do that? Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Deacon Charlie. This has been a fun conversation. Um, if you guys want to like learn more about me and my wife and our ministry, we do have a podcast um, journey to marriage. And we, we, we post pretty frequently every single week on that. And then, uh, we also are on Instagram. We kind of show the behind the scenes of how we're building our apostolate and how we're engaging with the couples that we work with. So that's a lot of fun. And we're actually doing something really fun, um, in August and you'll, everybody who, who like looks into what we're doing, you'll start to see the promotion maybe from people that, you know, but we're, we're, we're creating this thing called the Catholic Courtship Summit because mm. like what we mentioned, Deacon Charlie, we, we know there's, there's resources for engaged couples, but for those who are courting, trying to figure out like, is this person the one? Um, sure. There's nothing really there. And what we're doing is we're bringing a lot of people together to kind of talk about this topic. We have people like Christopher West and um, JC, oh, John and Stacey Simmerow. She discerned out of religious life, got married. Like all these people sharing their their stories and, and testimonials of how they discerned that vocation. And um, hopefully like from this resource, it'll really bear fruit for those, those young, Catholic, uh, young adult Catholics who are in courtships to feel confident um, of taking those next steps. And that's like the goal of, of that event. So we have a lot of really cool things and we just ask for your guys' prayers as well. Absolutely love it. And we'll include all that stuff in the show notes so people can get in touch with you, especially about the upcoming summit and all that stuff and follow you on social. It's a lot of fun to actually do that because I've, I've, I've checked it out. Uh, and there's a lot going on with that. And it comes at a really critical time as we've already talked about. So Rafi, you know, our prayers are for the continued prosperity of this work, of this apostolate, that it prosper and just go far and wide as far as God wants it to go. Um, so yeah, definitely you have our prayers uh, for that. Thank you, Deacon. Awesome. Are you ready to play then, Rafi? Wait, what? Yes. I'm probably right, gonna let's bomb do it. this, but you know what? Let's let's I, just do it. I, I think this in. week, I think this week it's it's very custom tailored, but it's a lot of fun. So I think you're gonna do all right. Okay, so Rafi, we're gonna start with a fill in the blank question. Now I know that you're a fan of scotch. Yes. In fact, you're a fan of a particular kind of scotch, which is like this kind of peaty, you know, scotch variety, right? What's your what's your uh, poison there? Is that like Laphroaig or one of these uh, peatier ones? Yes, it is Laphroaig. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a good one too. It's Laphroaig is one of those things that people either absolutely adore or cannot even believe people drink. It's like one of those two camps. All right. So, with that in the background, knowing that you're a fan of peaty Scotch, so as you know, Scotch, or more pro- more properly said, Scotch whiskey comes from Scotland. Mm-hmm. The origin of whiskey, which frankly I didn't know, started over a thousand years ago when distillation made the migration from mainland Europe into Scotland via traveling monks. The monks are always behind the best booze. So it turns out that that is the case here. So we know that scotch is from Scotland. And we also know that bourbon is American whiskey. So with all of this in mind, Rafi, cognac is a blank named for the region in France where it was made. Cognac is a blank named for the region of France where it was made. Cognac is, so is a type of alcohol? Yes. So cognac is a brandy. 
Right? Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Absolutely. You're my, starting. <laughs> my dad is a, a cognac fan. So he's the one that brought me into cognac. And I was like, nice. So this worked out. Yes. Yeah, for sure. There's actually a couple. I was in France not too long ago, and there's also Marignac. There's like a bunch of different yaks, and they're all basically brandies, but they're from those different regions. And of course, you know, champagne is basically sparkling wine from champagne. So anyway, all right, you're getting off to a great start, Rafi. Let's uh, let's continue, see how you do. Now, uh, question number two, multiple choice. Rafi, which of these is false? Which of these is false about your home city of Las Vegas? Sin City. Las Vegas means the desert plants. Or is it number two? The famous Las Vegas Strip is not located within Las Vegas in terms of its city limits. Or is it number three? With its millions of lights, Las Vegas is the brightest spot on Earth from space. Which of those is false? Las Vegas means desert plants. Las Vegas Strip, the most famous part of Las Vegas, is actually not in the city limits of Las Vegas, or Las Vegas is the brightest spot on Earth from space, which is false. Um, man. So, I think... What was the second one? The second one is that the Vegas Strip is not actually within the city limits of Las Vegas. I would say... I would say the first one... I've. I don't think ding that ding means. ding ding okay, ding cool. again, my friend. Yes, Sweet. you are correct. Las Vegas actually translates to the meadows mm. due to the water that's found in underground artesian wells. So yes, you're right. It does not mean desert plants. Yeah, you are correct, and it is true that actually uh, the strip, the Las Vegas Strip, is not within the city limits of Las Vegas. It's actually in the jurisdiction of Clark County, mm. and it is also true that Las Vegas is considered the brightest spot on Earth from space, given its ridiculous <laughs> amount of light bulbs in that particular city. Dude, you're rocking it. Okay, so last question. And you're guaranteed here not to get a thousand, a hundred percent, because the last question is, oh, there's always a time machine question, Rafi. So here we go. Yeah. Okay. You get to travel forward in time, travel into the future to Las Vegas in the year 2500. In an ironic and strange twist of divine comedy, long gone from Vegas is the gambling scene of slot machines and card tables. And in fact, Vegas is now the home to mindfulness communities that have set up quasi-monastic styles of living, but they emphasize nature and movement of the stars as their kind of true north. Now, you need to make a living in your new home, and naturally, being entrepreneurial, you decide to set up shop to serve these communities in some way. What kind of business, Rafi, do you decide to open? Ooh, man. I, I wish there was an option where I would just like not live in Vegas <laughs> because we plan on going back to Hawaii, but 25. Okay. Um, it's your question. I mean, yeah. I guess you could just get on a spaceship and leave. That's, that's an answer. Yeah. I would probably leave Vegas, but if I were to start, if I were to start a business um, in this type of demographic in Vegas, hmm, I would probably, I would probably like start like an organic coffee shop. Um, mm just to something that has like those those tip those typical like characteristics and traits that that attract the, that type of demographic but when I when I when we get them in the coffee shop um, of course we're gonna have people um, just conversating with these these types of people I feel like that would be like a really cool platform to evangelize what we believe as Catholics without 
um, having to be overly Catholic, like, oh, we're, this is a Catholic coffee shop. Like, no, let's let's give you what you want. But then when you're in, we'll give you what you actually need through through um, through our conversations and all these things. And hopefully that kind of bears fruit. This is this has actually been a really um, a big like legacy goal of mine, like as an entrepreneur, like at the end of my life to to do like a coffee shop or something where I could just like kind of get to know young people who are trying to change the world and and uh, just have conversations with them and kind of share in part like the wisdom and knowledge that I w- was able to gain throughout my life. So, but the fact that in this context, <laughs> like I hope it doesn't get to that place and I, I'll definitely be leaving Vegas if that happens. But um, yeah, if that, if that were the case, I love it. that's when I would start. I love it, man. Coffee as a platform for catechism in a way. I love it. You, you could call the place Holy Grounds or something like ah, that. You know yes. what I mean? I think That'd there's, be cool. There is actually... Um, there is a holy grounds. I think. Oh, is there? A, I'm I th- sure. I think there is like a a coffee shop attached to certain parishes, and they call it like holy grounds. And that, that was like another idea. It's like I wonder if people have done this, and apparently there's people that have done it. All right, then if there's already holy grounds, just because I, I don't want to be unoriginal, what about like divine drips, <laughs> or you know, or uh, some other Catholic cappuccinos? I don't yes. know. We'll, we, we'll we have to brainstorm on the names. Oh yeah, that's awesome, man. You you got that one right as well. So you batted a thousand, which is a rare feat on this show, Rafi. But I'm not surprised. Uh, thank you so much for coming by. Real privilege to have you. Please pass on our regards to your wife and all the good work that you guys are doing. Um, and yeah, God bless you on your way, brother. Yes, thank you, Deacon. And if you're listening to our voice, that means it's time to subscribe. Please share this episode with somebody who can benefit from. Maybe somebody who's actually thinking about or in a serious relationship, thinking about taking that next step. Let them know about Rafi and the work that we're doing and bring them into this forum that we call Living the Call. We'll see you again next time.